Welcome back, everybody, to the Wit and Whiskey Cast. We're here uh, almost halfway through season three, uh, which is really exciting. Uh, we've almost uh, wrapped the year around uh, to August again, and and we're approaching our one year anniversary of the podcast, which is really really exciting. Um, I'm here, DJ Gagnon, as always, with my wonderful co-host Mark Rossetti. Am I actually here? You do, are do actually we, here. Do we do we know for sure? Like, I, you know, you're not just be. This isn't like the Michael Jackson hologram tour. You're not just looping me with uh, sound bites from the previous forty some odd episodes. Yeah, ladies and gents, we uh, we very nearly did not have an episode for you this week, and uh, this may still go up a day or two late, depending on my my editing schedule. We are recording this the Thursday before it's supposed to go up, so we'll see how motivated I can get myself tonight. Yeah, we basically, uh, you know, if we're trying to stick to our self-appointed schedule here, uh, poor DJ has less than 12 hours to record this with me, edit this, clean it up, put the files up on the cloud, and then we can distribute it to all the various places to give it to your orifice. Because, um, well, what the hell? We have the explicit tag. Let's just go for it. Fuck Comcast. (laughs) Um, Taking some stances today, folks. (laughs) If you've been following Twitter at all, which I don't recommend in of itself, but if you've been following Twitter at all, you might have noticed that Comcast has been trending pretty much all week for shitty internet uh, it started Sunday night with uh, the WWE pay-per-view, Money in the Bank. We just wanted to watch our wrestling. And the Peacock streaming service, which is owned and operated by Comcast, crashed during the co-main event. And pretty much no one in America saw it until the next day. Woof. Uh, and all, just pretty much all week, off and on, they have had been having what they call spotty outages. Uh, but for... Tuesday and Wednesday, it was the entirety of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, (laughs) which, you know, there's only 14 million of us that live here. So, hey. Yeah. But here we are. I don't even know what the fuck. I've done the research for this episode so fucking long ago. I don't even (laughs) remember what the fuck we're talking. What are we talking about? Tell the people what we're talking about. Well, today uh, we are, as our episode title uh, suggests, we're talking about pop culture. Uh, But specifically, we're limiting ourselves to pop culture cocktails and pop culture drinks um drinks that got popular due to tv shows or uh silly fictional drinks that we we all seem to be able to to name uh even though they don't exist so we're, we're talking about uh how pop culture has influenced cocktail culture yeah we're going to sort of continue our theme from last week with martinis and whiskey, which I've actually gotten quite a bit of feedback on, believe it or not, from our a, listener base. It was a fun episode. I did remember um, uh, Nuno and I went out uh, for dinner uh, and to see Black Widow uh, last week, and I did ask him the martini question, and he's had a few martinis over the years and has no idea if they were shaken or stirred. <laughs> that is a very Nuno answer. It I is. enjoy that. <laughs> Uh, but before we get into this amazing topic, uh, what you've been up to this week, other than, you know, staunchly refusing to feed the pigeons? You know, aside from trying to just will my router into life, uh, no, I got the bowl this week again, which was a lot of fun because it's been 16 months. Um, you know, I, I used to bowl in a league and that got shut down last year because of the pandemic, obviously, and then did not get picked back up in the fall, so... I uh, had, you know, hadn't bowled in forever. Hadn't even moved the balls, really. <laughs> and I got asked to be the fourth man in a tournament last night. And so I said, ah, fuck it. You know, we had a night off from D&D. And I didn't have internet again. So they didn't have internet at the bowling alley either. You had It was cash only. They couldn't have any credit card machines. They didn't have the ATM. They didn't have anything. So <laughs> it, it actually was all cash. Uh, but, you know scrounging dollar bills to buy beer at the, you know, at the back bar at the bowling alley, but it was okay. I, you know, I was only like 23 pins off my average, which isn't too bad for not having touched a ball in 16 months. I'll take it. Uh, and you know, I bought a new pipe. You might, you might hear me just puffing on it here as we go through. I, I, I'm switching from cigars to pipes. I've smoked cigars, God, probably about 15 years now, but I'm going to go full hog and I'm going to switch to a pipe. So I bought a new one and I, you know, of course it's an Italian pipe because you know me, a Paranelli. Uh, so 
the bowl kind of looks like an avocado. That's what my my co-host on my other podcast, Fireside History, Michael Ward, he, he saw it today. We went for lunch today to plan out the format for the other podcast, which is also available wherever you find We're podcasts. not here to plug your other podcast, Mark. <laughs> well, hey, he said it looks like an avocado, and he's not actually wrong. I might have to put up a, that nice picture of the... Uh, the pipe that I put up on my personal Facebook page with some Knob Creek when I was breaking it in, and, nice. and you can see. I, I what about what, course, what about you in the land of technology? What did you do this week? Oh man, um, I'm just really getting pretty deep into my new job, which has been fantastic. Um, I, I'm working more with people than I am with technology these days, and uh, I don't know if this is just because of who I am or because of the job, but. Every problem is exceedingly easy to solve. It's just talking to people. It's Save this soundbite, ladies and gentlemen. Now, <laughs> now the, the caveat here is I am only managing a single product suite. Um, I only really have a few customers, and uh, I've got a small team uh, that is very supportive. So uh, it's, it's been a very good experience for me. The job is a lot less stressful. Um, but I really enjoy talking to people and solving social problems and every single problem I encounter is, well, uh, go talk to this person and follow up with that person and make sure that this person is, is aware of what you're doing. And that, that's most of my job. So I anticipate it getting a lot harder in the future when I have less safety nets and I'm past that, you know, three month, oh, don't mind me, I'm new phase, um, but uh, until then, I, I am definitely enjoying kind of working something that's a bit more in, in my wheelhouse, a bit more of my passion. It is always nice when you enjoy what you do. It is. Um, it will have happened by the time people are listening to this episode, most likely. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the magic set releases tomorrow. Yes, it does. I went uh, last two weeks, no spoilers, so I haven't seen anything since they announced uh, the, that Caddy Bree and Wolfgar are both part of the set. So the whole quartet of Forgotten Realms OG characters are in the set as cards. And after I saw that, I was like, all right, no more spoilers. I'm just waiting until it all comes out. I'm excited. I'm taking the whole day off. Uh, my buddy Ryan and I, friend of the show, uh, we're going to go out and... Uh, celebrate some things and, and just get all these cards and be 12-year-olds in our mom's basement again, <laughs> opening up, you know, card packs and seeing what we get. Uh, God, I have many a fond memory. I I can't remember the last time I bought a booster box of, uh, presumably it was magic, but I did it for a few other CCGs as well, Star Wars and Weirdly enough, the Austin Powers card game, but those are just good memories, just, you know, staying up late, you know, downstairs on my parents' dining room table, just opening pack after pack after pack after pack after pack. Well, our friendly comic book store uh, opens up at 10 in the morning, so you got, you got, you got plenty of time to drive up, buddy. Oh, let's see. You're, you're, you're what, 40 minutes from Dave, give or take? Yeah. Because I've made it to Dave's house in 434, give or take. So, all right. So, it'd take me like five and a quarter. So, all right. If I leave at 530, I could be there pretty close to when it opens. <laughs> assuming I don't stop for pee breaks. Uh, you would need to be here by 930 because that's when we're getting in the truck and taking, taking the drive down. Well, I would just fuck with you. I would just put the address for the store in and just show up. <laughs> just be sitting there smoking my pipe, drinking a coffee. Don't. I've been hurt before, Mark. <laughs> you wouldn't know whether to shit or go blind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If I was just laying on the hood of the cobalt with a coffee and a pipe, like, hey, fuckers, <laughs> what are you doing? It would be the best day. Uh, no, so I let's, can't. Before we get into... The very cool topic of pop culture, and to distract myself from a potential Mark sighting. Uh, what are you drinking? Well, in the words of uh, one of my favorite comedy troops, and now for something completely different. <laughs> uh, I am drinking a whiskey from the Nomad Distilling Company, which is a local to me distillery. 
they're brandy new. They've only been up and running two years, three years, something like that. Uh, and they're only about 40 minutes away as the crow flies from me. And I am drinking their corn whiskey. Ooh. Now, you know, we often talk about mash bills when we do uh, our reviews. You know, what percentage of wheat, what percentage of rye, what percentage of barley, what percentage of corn. This one is really fucking easy. It's 100% corn. <laughs> That's the whole mash bill. Nice. It is 91 proof, so 45.5% ABV. Uh, it has no age statement, which is fine. But here's the gimmick with it. It is completely clear. I, I don't know how I feel about this. And so, you know, when I found out that for, uh, a good friend of mine in front of the show, uh, Ashley, is going to be, is got a job there. I said, you have to hook a brother up with some of this corn whiskey. And her face fell immediately. <laughs> oh, no. And she said, you know, well... Yeah, you know, the corn whiskey's pretty popular. You know, it's great to mix with this and this and this and this. And I said, no, 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 no. We're not going to mix it. I said, I want a bottle of corn whiskey to drink. And she's like, mm, no, n- no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. And so we went back and forth and back and forth. And there's two reasons why I picked this. One is Nomad has a big uh, selection of things that they brew. But fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what side of the fence you fall on, almost everything is flavored. And I'm not the biggest fan of the flavored stuff. I mean, if you are, that's cool too. But uh, that's not really my bag. So really one of only two things that they make uh, that's unflavored is the corn whiskey. And we have never reviewed a straight corn whiskey on this show, either one of us. Certainly not a clear whiskey. Uh, but it even comes with a little card on the bottle when it, when it came in and when it shipped, basically saying that, you know, it, it's a great option for your Bloody Marys or you could substitute it in your tequila recipes. No, no, we're just going to drink it straight. So <laughs> it's weird seeing it clear. It's just it's kind of a mind fuck, although I was a huge fan of Crystal Pepsi as a kid. So maybe that's why I like this. But here's the weirder part, and I know you're going to be like, of course, this isn't weird, you dumbass. Of course, this is the way it is. You just said it's 100% corn. I understand that, but I can't tell you how weird it is to stick your nose in a glass and smell buttered corn on the cob. (laughs) That is literally what it smells like. It smells like a glass of corn on the cob. That's amazing. And my brain just cannot process this. Now, when you drink it, it tastes like whiskey. It tastes like your average, I'm not even going to say well whiskey, your average entry-level whiskey, you know, Jack, Jimmy, James, you know, your usual... Your J names. Yeah, all your J names, your three wise men. And then it gets a little peppery. You get a little heat, but not like alcohol heat. You get a little spice to it, a little black pepper, and then you taste the corn again. (laughs) And then it fades away to just a burn. But it does not taste like... Everclear. It doesn't taste like, you know, just rubbing alcohol, even though it looks like it. It actually tastes like strong whiskey. And I really kind of like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's $26 a bottle plus your shipping. uh, Or if, you know, you bat your eyelashes at Ashley and she drives it in for you. God love you, Ash. I love you, darling. So you don't have to pay the shipping. (laughs) Uh, But Nomad Distillery, punch them up on Google. If you like flavored stuff, they have an ass load. Uh, one of which I probably will be reviewing later on because I think the employees of the distillery were a little nervous that I was going to crucify this, so they did include a tasting sample of their maple whiskey. Ooh. So I will be reviewing that on a later episode. Uh, but this one I paid for. This was not free. This was the one I wanted, and I have no regrets about my choice. Well, there you go, folks. If you want to try it, an adventure, definitely check this distillery out. This sounds amazing. I can't wait to try it. So, all right, brother, what are you drinking? Uh, I stayed relatively close to the East Coast this week. Not, not quite Pennsylvania, but um, I am drinking... Uh, a bourbon from the Cleveland Distillery. Uh, it, it's part of their Underground series, uh, and it is a. It, it's their all of their Underground series has like a, you know, like the 
the elements in the periodic table, like the little squares, and you know you get two letters for each element. Uh, it has like a little square like that as its icon. So I'm I'm drinking the SM release, which is a bourbon finished with sugar maple, and it's okay. really fucking good. It's all the things I like about a whiskey. It's not. Uh, it, it doesn't have any of those, like, you know, I, I, there's a lot of different flavor notes in whiskey, right? We've talked about a ton of them over the years. And there's the, there's your, your fruits and your citruses, there's your chocolates, there's your, uh, y- you know, your spice, uh, spice notes. And then there's kind of that, that realm that I don't really enjoy, the, the, the the peat the, the 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 tar the the tobacco kind of flavors. This steers away from all the stuff I don't like, and it's it's vanilla. It's got some caramel notes. It's definitely leaning hard into that mapleness. Uh, so I tried some before uh, I I hopped on with Mark, and I'm currently drinking uh, a, a plan an old fashioned I made with it. I did. Um, uh, a few dashes of Ango bitters, uh, a dash and a half of uh, orange bitters, and then I threw in um, a little bit over a teaspoon of maple syrup and uh, two ounces of the uh, of this whiskey. It's really good. It makes it really tasty, old fashioned. Um, I I definitely recommend it. Uh, I never really had a chance to put maple syrup in a cocktail before, other than a hot toddy. So uh, this is great. Uh, I, I really like it. it it's not. It's kind of got that nice, heavy feel on the tongue of most bourbons, uh, but it's not too sweet. Um, you know, the maple syrup didn't cut it too badly, so there's still a lot of nice whiskey taste. Um, I like it. it. It's a really good bourbon. I definitely recommend it. It's a 92 proof, so I got you about one point there. Oh, <laughs> you bastard. Uh, and uh, you can get it. Uh, it, it and its brothers and sisters, because there's a whole line of these undergrounds that are finished with different kinds of uh, wood and, and whatnot. Um, you can get it for about 40, 44 bucks, I think is what I, what I paid for it up here in New Hampshire. Uh, so it's, it, it's a good mid-tier whiskey. You know, I, I, I don't think this is going to be anybody's everyday, uh, you know, daily driver, but uh, it's good. It's great. I, I really enjoy it. Now, you know, I have to ask, I have to break kayfabe a little bit here. Was this better or worse than the one you made on Tuesday? <laughs> uh, it, it, it's pretty much the same. I'm, I, I tweaked <laughs> the maple syrup a little bit today uh, and amped it up a little bit more. So it's a bit sweeter, more to my liking. Um, but no, it's great. I, I love it. I mean, I, it's an, you can't go wrong with an old-fashioned, Mark. That's true. We're, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute here. Uh, but no, DJ and I actually got so close to recording on Tuesday uh, that we actually had our drinks and we were stationed and we were doing our all of our usual show prep and then just no. So we shared a cocktail with each other virtually through Facebook Messenger instead. <laughs> the Wit and Whiskey cast, ladies and gentlemen, the one podcast where there is no kayfabe. No, no, fuck it. We just, you know. But I, I, I think... For the most part, I think our listeners know with us, you know, they know our style anyway, and it's just, no, right through the hourglass. Well, (laughs) this actually works out pretty well, because through no actual proper planning, uh, (laughs) which is our use, the whiskey news this week ties in perfectly, because we have both done relatively decent proof, uh, interesting subsets of whiskey from small uh, distilleries. Yeah. Well, Whiskey News is all about that. Nice. We're going to travel to the town of Humble, Texas. Uh, which, uh, <laughs> is that really a thing? Oh, yeah, no. Humble, Texas is, is like a legit thing. Uh, it's, it's I, did, uh, I know quite a few people that have lived in Humble at one time or another. That's hilarious. Uh, and they have their own distillery, the old Humble Distillery. Which, again, I swear is a real thing. And their owner and their master distiller is a man named Joe Breda. And their gimmick is they're making three whiskey, three varieties of whiskey. Straight whiskey, special reserve whiskey, and then the Boomtown Bourbon. 
So, okay, whatever. It's a small distillery. It's making whiskey. No, 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 no. He harnesses on the roof of the distillery Texas rainwater, and that is what's used in the whiskey. Whoa. Yeah, right? So uh, he actually received one of the first uh, craft distilling licenses in Texas, It's sort of a new subset because he was actually a craft beer brewer. He had his own line of beer for a while. And then he became a whiskey enthusiast and he never went back by his own words. You and me both, brother. (laughs) Uh, Interestingly enough, he puts out limited release items on his distillery. And the reason that they're limited release is they are, he's a one man shop. He's the master distiller and he makes his own stuff. Uh, so he has three brands, and what really drew me to this is he harnessed in this contraption a lot of the snow and ice from that terrible ice storm they had back in February, Ooh. Where, where all of the uh, windmills were you know, uh, frozen and people were losing power, and like the whole state of Texas just pretty much went Mad Max for like a month. He has a bunch of the snow and ice for that. He, is, he melted it down, he distilled it, and that whiskey now is aging now. Wow. And next year, they're going to release the 72-hour blackout bourbon. That's which, amazing. Yeah, I, I may try to get a bottle of that when it comes out. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but oldhumbledistillery.com is their website. I can't say anything because I'm not an IT guy. You are, but... This looks like a one-man show program, this. (laughs) It has a very 1990s Yahoo GeoCities vibe to it. Oh, man, I'll have to look this up. But that's Whiskey News. What what do we have for Tools of the Trade? Uh, So Tools of the Trade this week, um, between this week and next week, I figured I would would round out our kind of uh, smaller bar tool set. Um, there's a lot more bar tools that I haven't really got gotten into yet. Um, but one of the last two like standard tools is strainers. Yeah. Okay. That checks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so last week with martinis, we talked about mixing glasses and how, you know, pretty they can get. The problem with a, a mixing glass is it's got a much larger opening than your standard cocktail shaker. Uh, which means that you need a different kind of strainer for it. Now, uh, there are three strainers that a standard bar will use. I'm sure there's dozens of other kinds, but I'm only talking about the three today. Uh, So the most common strainer that you'll see in cocktail bars is called a Hawthorne strainer. And if you've ever uh, been to basically any bar where they shake things... Um, you, you've probably seen this. It's the one with the half moon of like a spring on it. Yes. Look at my photo from martinis and whiskey. I have mine in the photo. Yeah. And Hawthorne strainers are really cool. Uh, they're, they're shaped in a really interesting way. They've got a longer handle on one side and you sometimes depending on the Hawthorne strainer, they've got these two little offshoots on the opposite side. Uh, make making kind of a little bit of a peace sign. There's this round plate in the, uh, that kind of, connects everything and underneath it is the spring spiral um and usually there's a little pop-up tab on on the top that's pointing straight up and the idea with these is that you put them spring side down on top of your cocktail shaker and you use your pointer finger to push the, the 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 top of it up against the side of the the mixing glass so that you're, you're kind of um, holding it in place. You can pour with one hand. It keeps the ice from going into the, the drink. Um, there's a lot of really interesting bar science with uh, when you shake a drink, you generally, it depends on the bar, but generally I've seen it accepted that you, you pour into a glass with fresh ice. I've seen some bars use the same ice in the, the, uh, the cocktail shaker. And the reason why I've seen bars not do that is that when you shake you're really like shattering that ice you're 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 getting aggressive in there um you get a lot of little ice chips and it's going to melt really quick and it's going to dilute your drink really quick so the hawthorne strainer is there to just keep the big pieces of ice back 
You pour it, pour the drink over fresh ice. It melts a little bit slower. Um, it's a better drinking experience. the The only downside the only downside to a Hawthorne strainer is that it it doesn't catch everything. Uh, some small ice chips might get in. If you're you're doing something like a mojito and you're shaking, um, say mint or you know some of the other drinks I, I have use like basil or sage. If you're shaking with herbs, little pieces of the herbs can get in. And depending on what you're doing for a drink, you may not want that. You know, a, a whiskey smash tends to be a little bit more. Um, I would say rustic where you want some of the mint floating around, you want some of the, the lemon floating around. With, with like a nice clean mojito, you generally only want the mint that you put in the glass. So uh, the second kind of strainer that's used in this, and you might hear the term double strain, is uh, a fine mesh strainer. And these are generally, they have a handle on it, and there's a fine metal mesh that goes into this kind of cone that hangs off of it. And you hold that over your drink, you pour the... the liquid into it it falls out the bottom none of the bits get in i find the fine mesh strainer is the one that people probably already have in their kitchen for some sort of use uh it's the one that's useful for other things other than cocktail uh you know mixing and, and whatnot so um those are the first two the last two is used in the mixing glass that you're going to stir your drinks in and it's called a julep strainer and you know, it gets its name from, you know, stirring a mint julep, if that's the kind of way that you make it. Uh, and these don't really have the tab and the springs. It's, it's all one piece. There's no mesh on it. It's, uh, it basically looks like uh, a, a short-handled, very big-headed spoon that has a bunch of holes poked in it. And uh, it, it's going to, it really is there just to keep the ice back in the mixing glass. It's not going to strain out a ton of crap. Uh, but you put it, uh, I generally see it, you know, like you put it upside down into the glass. You can hold it there with your pointer finger and pour the, the liquor out. Um, there isn't a lot of crossover. I have never seen a Hawthorne strainer be used in a mixing glass. I've never seen a julep strainer being used in a cocktail shaker. It's, they're just, they serve different purposes. So uh, you can actually make a wicked black and tan with a julep strainer if you yeah. know what you're doing. Yeah, th there's some really cool stuff out there. I will say that if you're trying to equip your bar on a budget and you don't want all three strainers, which is completely fair, uh, just get a fine mesh strainer. You don't need anything else. You can it's true. You can pour straight out of the mixing tin or the mixing glass uh, right into your drink. The the fine mesh strainer will, will get everything. Um, the nice part about a Hawthorne strainer is that you can just pull that with your cocktail shaker, and that's pretty much all you need to make the drink. Um, but, yeah, it, fine mesh strainer is really easy. Uh, the only downside is it requires two hands to pour. It doesn't look as cool. And that's Tools of the Trade this week. Well, there you go, folks. We're going to have a complete bar for you yet. Yeah, I think next week I'm covering the last piece. I was actually kind of surprised that I hadn't already talked about them, so... Look forward to next week. But that brings us to our amazing topic, Mark. Well, this was fun uh, because, you know, we went through and we, we did our research separately because, of course, I had to... Do, well, we did it because we planned on recording at normal time and then the world ended. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I had to do it back then anyway because I didn't have internet otherwise. But it looks like we've come up with quite the list here and I went for almost entirely... Actual drinks in works <laughs> of fiction, and you went for almost entirely, with some exceptions, uh, fictional drinks within works of fiction. So, you know, I, I think this might just be fun. We might just take a topic and we'll just go down the list and just talk a little bit about them. And then maybe if we get a really weird drink, maybe we could, you know, talk about the recipe or whatever. But some of these <laughs> are just are pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. So, uh, what what do you what do you want to start with? You want to start with TV, movies, music, books? Where do where do you want to go first? Yeah, let's start with TV. I feel like these are some really really good solid like, oh yeah. Everybody knows these. Yeah, I mean, TV I think was probably the easiest one. I mean, and the first one that came to my mind for good or for bad was Sex in the City with the Cosmopolitan. Yeah. Um, I've never had a Cosmopolitan. What? I couldn't 
I couldn't tell you if it's good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, but I know a lot of people, both in the bar industry and without blame it for the rise of the quote-unquote teeny, of everything <laughs> being yeah. a teeny. Uh, so, you know, we might have to chalk that one up to being a net negative. Although, hey, if it gets people drinking more liquor and less light beer, I'm all for it. Uh, I also weirdly have not seen much of Sex in the City either. I think I've seen like maybe a, a c- bits and pieces of maybe four or five episodes that might add up to one complete episode. I, I don't. feel like it passed us by. Yeah, I, I worked with a lady at the museum uh, who was hardcore into it, like lived, you know, lived her motto, like her life by it. But I just, I never, she would quote it all the time and it would just go over my head. Yeah. I, I have to hand it to the Cosmopolitan for making making cocktails accessible to people who maybe might be a little bit lightweight. Um, well, all right. Well, well, hook a brother up. What is in a Cosmo? Uh, I'll admit it. I don't even know. I couldn't make one. If you came in, if you came into Conrad's and said, "Make me a Cosmopolitan," I'd have to look it up. Uh, I mean, a Cosmo is one of the most basic recipes there is. It's it's um, cranberry juice, triple sec. Uh, usually sweet and sour, but you can do it with lemon juice, uh, vodka. That's about it. Um, I've no, seen it actually with lime. doesn't sound terrible. I, I've seen it mostly with lime. I, I, it depends on who's making it. I, I feel like the standard recipe is cranberry and lime and then triple sec vodka. It's really those, uh, garnish with an orange peel. Um, it's a pretty basic drink, but it's accessible. Uh, if you're going straight to martini, you're going to get pretty fucked up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, I mean, even an old fashioned, uh, if you're looking at an old fashioned, like there's not a lot of liquid <laughs> in an old fashioned unless you're using simple syrup. Um, but the standard recipe for an old fashioned is a sugar cube that you muddle with the, the bitters. So there's a lot of uh, fairly popular cocktails that are fairly accessible if you're like me and you're kind of a lightweight uh so it's it's just an accessible drink and it's bright and it's colorful it's fun it's a fun cocktail i've had a few of them they're great um if you if you do make a a cosmo don't forget the triple sec because it definitely adds something well i would argue that for pretty much any recipe any cocktail that calls for it um, you know, there's there's a reason why it's there. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen uh, recipes that cut corners and they don't add the orange liqueur, and it, it's not as good. J- just just make sure, it, uh, you know, triple sec or Cointreau are just perfect in a Cosmo. All right, well, we'll jump ahead because you mentioned them already. So the next one was Mad Men and the Old Fashioned. Right. Now, this one was interesting because I did watch a bit of Mad Men, it's a fine enough show. I didn't find it to be the pop culture phenomenon that everyone seemed to think it was. And I also never really gave much notice to Don Draper drinking old fashions. Uh, but this is another one that, you know, you often see on message boards and, you know, uh, bartender blogs and things. Oh, Elvis since uh, Mad Men came out, everybody's drinking old fashions, everybody doing this. I've actually had a few bartenders at places that didn't watch the show. I've ordered a Manhattan. I said, oh, we got a Don Draper over here. And it's like, no, motherfucker. Don Draper ordered an old fashioned. I ordered a Manhattan. (laughs) Uh, But that, you know, and that's another one. It's a good, I don't want to say entry level cocktail, but it's a good gateway cocktail. You know, marijuana is your gateway drug. The old fashions of the cosmos are your gateway, uh, uh, your gateway cocktails. So we have that. It is. I, I love an old fashioned. I have never seen an episode of Mad Men. I heard it was fairly problematic towards women, and I just decided not to watch it. Well, it was, but it was fairly accurate to the time period, which is why I originally started watching it, because I I do enjoy period pieces and to see how they reflect upon the history of it. So for good or for bad, it was accurate anyway. (laughs) It, It certainly was problematic, but I think that was kind of the point. Um, so then the last one is something that I just finished. It's a show that I adore. 
And the way they use liquor as a tell, I think, is just a lot of fun. And Mm -hmm. that's Lucifer. I love this show so much. And, you know, Lucifer Morningstar in the show, well, and in the comics, owns a bar. He owns a nightclub. He has a insane personal bar in his penthouse with all kinds of rare bottles of whiskey. And then starting in season five, uh, spoiler alert, but, you know, there is... Tom Ellis plays another character playing Lucifer. So he plays a dude pretending to be a dude playing another dude. <laughs> or however that line goes from, uh, you know, that Robert Downey Jr. line goes. So, uh, but you notice a change, and I actually picked up on this. I didn't realize it was indicating he was playing a different character, but I noticed it was a change. He switches to vodka <laughs> when he's playing Michael. He doesn't drink whiskey anymore. And I thought that was really interesting because you could see the two sides, at least for the show, good and evil, based on what they drink. And then anytime Eve is in the bar, anytime Eve is in Lux, she's drinking an apple teeny. And that tickles me to no end. <laughs> I just think that is the funniest goddamn thing in the face of the earth. That's I that show's so clever. They just put all these little, you know, drips and drabs, which if you know a little bit about cocktails and if you know a little bit about the comic and or the Bible, just the shit that pops up, just, it, I, I think it's hysterical. It's so, so those are the three TV shows that we picked with actual uh, cocktails. Take us through the one, take us through your fictional ones. Yeah, so I just picked some that I thought were fun. Um, the first one uh, I picked, I'm, everybody seems to know it. I, was, I didn't grow up watching this show, but everybody else seems to have. Uh, but it's The Simpsons and Duff Beer. Now, see, this one actually isn't fictional anymore. Yeah, no, somebody actually made it. But it started fictional, so that's why it's on my list. <laughs> and even before it was a beer, it was an energy drink. Mm-hmm. A really bad energy drink. But yeah, no, I, I grew up watching The Simpsons. Um, so yeah, good good old Duff Beer. And then they have the whole episode making fun of craft beer when Duff comes out with Doof, <laughs> which is the same beer, but just with a little omelet over the name and everybody, oh, it's a craft beer. Oh. Gross. Uh, but yeah, uh, there's also um, a fairly iconic episode of I Love Lucy where she does an ad for what she thinks is like a, like a, all natural drink supplement and it's very clearly alcohol and she slowly gets drink drunk over the course of the episode and it's called let me see if i can get this right beta vitamita vegamin i always thought it was vitamita vegemin oh there you go uh now see here's the gimmick with this not to just interrupt you but you have to understand early tv was live to tape yeah yes they were recording it but the original went out live. And so this was just Lucille Ball putting on a fucking improvisational clinic. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I've, I have this script that I memorized an hour before, and I'll watch me kill this. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. And then from my personal favorite TV show of all times, uh, in season five of Scrubs, uh, there is a moment with the janitor where uh, they find out all of these years that he's been drinking out of his thermos, uh, it's been uh, his own cocktail that he calls Jum and Tonic, which is just gin, rum, and tonic. And he, somebody else takes a sip and they go, why? And he goes, you know, JD's like, you, you can't give him alcohol. He's going to get drunk. And the janitor just puts on this very fancy voice and goes, you can't get drunk on Jum. It's a breakfast liqueur. <laughs> it's one of my favorite uh, janitor lines of all time, so that's why it made it in. Gin, rum, and tonic. I may have to try that one night. <laughs> I have everything upstairs. Why not? <laughs> right? All right, well, what do we get for movies? All right, well, movies, uh, you know, we had to put in James Bond because we talked about it extensively last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, arguably one of the capstones of cocktail culture, both it, and that could go under movies or the book. So we don't really need to beat a dead horse too, too much with that later on. Uh, the second one was the big Lebowski and white Russians. <laughs> and when I had seen the big Lebowski, I did not know what a white Russian was until I saw 
that movie. So and good. I just remember being horrified by the idea of liquor and milk. I was young. I didn't understand. Uh, but, you know, I, I was very horrified. And that led to a lot of different jokes. You know, uh, if you're a fan of Archer, they were making the Black Mexicans uh, later on, which was a whole spoof on the Big Lebowski and White Russians. So that was a pretty big moment. I mean, even now, what are the two... Well, what are the there's three references anyone makes mm-hmm. to the Big Lebowski? The dude abides. Yeah. This isn't nom, it's bowling. There are rules. Yeah. And then something with a white Russian. Yeah, Those exactly. are the, the three references anybody makes to the Big Lebowski. And then, you know, I had to throw it in just because it's another uh, cornerstone that set cocktail culture back 50 years. The movie Cocktail. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, I have so many problems with this movie. Uh, well, you would be both. Uh, but I was shocked to find out because I had I've only ever seen it once and it was so long ago and I am in absolutely no urge to see it ever again uh, all the way through. But I forgot that the red eye was the center point of the movie. Oof. You know, I just remember all the different flipping and, you know, this and that and the really bad Beach Boy song that made them relevant again 30 years later. Uh, but no, the red eye cocktail was the centerpiece, and that was a big, another big thing in the '80s with all your other garbage, colorful, sugary, load up everything drinks, which I know we're going to do an episode on. I know DJ's getting triggered. We'll move on. <laughs> Give us some of your fictional ones. Uh, so I thought I I uh, only pulled two, and the first is uh, the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the OG film with uh, Gene Wilder. And uh, alcohol is nodded at quite a few times in both the book and the movie. Yep. Uh, but they very strongly code the whole scene with the fizzy lifting drink as they're drunk. You know, they're, they're, they're fooling around. They can't stop giggling. Uh, they, they definitely pitch it as, like, weird kids safe champagne. But both he and his grandpa are very uh, tipsy in that whole scene. And then there's a scene later in the factory where um, he shows like a bunch of taps that have a bunch of different candy liquors. And it's like butterscotch, butter gin. And I every time I see it now, I'm like, ha, butter gin. Because, <laughs> you know, it's not a butterscotch isn't really a liquor, but... <laughs> No, despite the best efforts of the vodka companies. Um, And then uh, for kind of a really popular touchstone, the Harry Potter films, uh, everybody knows butterbeer, and we do colloquially understand butterbeer is a drink for for kids. Um, It's definitely coded as like a child safe, but, oh, it's warm and it's relaxing and it makes me giggle. Okay, we know what's going on. But uh, on top of that, they, they mention a lot of alcohol in, uh, in the Harry Potter films and books. Specifically, I feel like a lot of the wines are very iconic to fantasy. Things like nettle wine and elderflower wine. Um, I, I don't know what it is with, with, the, with fruit and vegetable wines and fantasy, but they tend to show up a lot. Uh, and then uh, fire whiskey always seems to get mentioned, and it, it's, it pops up in a couple of places in Harry Potter. I want some of that. I mean, isn't that just... That, that's right up my alley. Isn't that just fire, fireball, buddy? Uh, is that... Te- I guess that is technically a whiskey. I was like, eh, now I'm sad. <laughs> it's a cinnamon-flavored whiskey drink. Yeah. How about the Muzak? All right, well, music was actually interesting. We could go on with music for pretty much ever. Yeah. And there actually was a study um, by, what are they calling themselves here? I have it pulled up. The Alcohol Treatment and Rehab Guide, which they're basically a nonprofit uh, if you're trying to detox and for AA and everything. And they actually did a study where they analyzed 10 years worth of the Billboard Hot 100. And 23.2% of all songs on there mentioned alcohol. It's almost one out of four. (laughs) Yeah. 
So uh, this one I kind of went a little crazy on, but we can narrow this down, um, you know, to just the, the big ones. Uh, Snoop Dogg, Gin and Juice. Although for my money, just for the comedy aspect, find and I could not tell you the author because or the yeah the author I could not tell you the artist because it was a collaborative effort. But around the time I was in Endicott, a bunch of country musicians came and did a country cover of Gin and Juice <laughs> with all the same lyrics, all the same, and it is the funniest thing you'll ever listen to. Nice, uh, Roger Krieger, the Everclear song. This has fond memories for me uh, of when we would go to Ocean City, Maryland, because in Pennsylvania, you cannot buy Everclear. It's illegal as part of our draconian liquor laws. So when we would go to Ocean City, Maryland, we would buy Everclear, despite the fact that it's awful, just because we couldn't get it. Oh, it's terrible, and I also cannot get it in New Hampshire. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, but go on YouTube, listen to Roger Krieger, the Everclear song. Uh... You could tell it was recorded in a previous time. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. But it, it has a catchy beat, and you could dance to it. Uh, my personal favorite, even though it's a cover, uh, George Thorogood, one bourbon, one scotch, and one beer. Uh, you know, great rock version of a blues uh, lyric, and it has one of the greatest lines ever in a song. You know when your mouth is getting dry. You're pretty high. <laughs> and anybody who's ever had a wicked hangover knows that's the truth. Uh, probably the most famous one, Jimmy Buffett and Margaritaville. Uh, one of my favorites on this list. Uh, another one of my favorites, even though I'm not a fan of the band themselves, really, I love the Doors Alabama song. Both because they're looking for a whiskey bar in the song and because, as most people don't know, it's actually a cover of a 1933 French boudoir brothel song (laughs) that the chorus was originally sung by a bunch of stripper prostitutes. And Jim Morrison thought it was hysterical, so he recorded a dark and moody, you know, like all the blue song or the door songs are. Yeah. Uh, The Champs with Tequila, great instrumental that, you know, Talks about tequila. tequila. And then you then you take us to Mr. Nichols. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, th- there's no cocktail in this song. It's not really even about the drink. But it is one of my favorite country songs of all times. And it's Joe Nichols' Tequila Makes Your Clothes Fall Off. I don't drink tequila. And many times at a bar, I will be offered a shot of tequila. And when I say I don't drink tequila, if I had a dollar for every time someone came back with, does it make your clothes fall off? <laughs> I would not be sitting here recording this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's just a great song. I feel like there is a lot of country songs I could have pulled here. Like Oh, God. Uh, Tons. I, I thought about pulling like Whiskey Girl or... Uh, you know, Whiskey Lullaby or any of those. Um, I was going to talk about Whiskey Lullaby, but uh, that is the saddest song I've ever heard. So I can't, we've got a good energy here. I will say, you know, we talk about how there's no kayfabe on the Witten Whiskey. For those of, for our listeners, if you want to know an insight of my life for a good 10 to 15 year period, uh, as much as I hate the artist and I hate the genre, look up Luke Bryan's uh, Take My Drunk Ass Home. Uh-huh. The lyrics to that song were me. Yeah. <laughs> for like 15 years. What did you find for books? Uh, I hit on just a couple of the big ones. Um, the Great Gatsby, much like Cocktail, actually has a trademark cocktail buried somewhere in all the rampant alcoholism. And of course, being that it's a, you know, depression era, um, bootleggers era book, it's the mint julep, Mm -hmm. a classic. Breakfast at Tiffany's, um, you know, in addition to giving everyone my age and your age, it just unbridled fetish for little black dresses, gloves and pearl necklaces. (laughs) It also has the white angel. And then, of course, I think... uh, one that's really big in America. I mean, The Great Gatsby, everybody we read in high school, but I, it's not as big anymore. But Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and the Singapore Sling. 
I can only remember drinking Singapore slings at a roadside bar where we were racing in some god-awful backwater track somewhere. There was a little hillbilly bar in the hotel, and they were on special. And it was, ah, you know, we're going to be like, you know, freaking fear and loathing in Las Vegas. We're just going to drink ourselves to death. Keep whipping them up and send them at our heads. (laughs) And, you know, the three other cowboys in the bar waiting for the line dancing had no fucking idea what we were talking about. I love Singapore slings. They are really tasty. They're really tasty, but they're a lot of work to get there. It is, yeah. You need some stuff that not everybody has in their bar. No, and even if they do, you better be a big tipper, because chances are the bartender's going to roll their eyes at you. It's true. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and, and I didn't put it up because it's not... It's not a book per se, but it's an entire genre. And you could do this one for movies as well. But the zombie. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a classic. And actually, you could put that one in TV. Really, if I was smart, I would have put that one in TV. Because Alan Alda has the greatest line ever in MASH. They're in uh, South Korea on leave. And he orders a zombie. And he tips the waitress and says, and keep bringing them until I become one. <laughs> Which is the greatest line ever. All right, what are our fictional ones? Uh, so I want to start off with the Redwall series. Uh, it's, a, it's a young adult series with you know, anthropomorphic animals fighting the good fight. Uh, but unlike other like young adult fantasy, young adult fiction, uh, I, and I, I still to this day don't know how he did it, but I have in my head that the feasts at Redwall Abbey were some of the most unbelievable descriptive language I've ever read in any book ever, and I always wanted to try the food. Did you ever read these books as a kid? I can't say I have, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, they're amazing. It's it's like a 20-some-odd book series. He was still writing them right up until his death. Um, uh, they, they've got just such great books, like Madame Mio and, and Moss Flower and... Uh, you know, The Outcast of Redwall. There's so many good books in the series. But they they just have these scenes, and I feel like there's at least one a book where everything's great, and they do a Redwall feast. And at the Redwall feast, there is always Dandelion Cordial. And I, for the life of me, that is all I wanted to drink as a kid. I remember, like, going to restaurants and them asking me what I wanted to drink and ordering dandelion cordial and having the waitress or the waiter just give my parents the weirdest look in the world. And they're like, he's fine. He'll have a chocolate milk. Now, hang on. I have to interrupt you there because now I am not a scientist. I am a historian. But aren't dandelions poisonous? No. Oh, okay. I always thought they were. No, you can eat, like, just about every part of the dandelion. Well, I mean, I suppose we could make you a dandelion cordial. I'm planning on it. I just need to, like, source enough dandelions to do it. Um, So, yeah, Redwall series, just, they always had, like, crazy fruit wines and vegetable wines, much like, you know, some of the movies. It it seems to be a thing in fantasy of uh, there is no real alcohol. It's just all, like, dandelion cordial and, you know, uh, carrot wine and things like that. So uh, the other poll I did was quite possibly the most well-known fictional drink to never have been made. And it is from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. Yep. (laughs) Uh, The effect of drinking it is like having your brain smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. Uh, that they're read throughout the book series. Uh, they're referenced in every movie or TV adaptation of, of the franchise. Uh, I have never wanted to drink something fictional so hard as a pangalactic gargle blaster. I mean, I can just get you some legitimate white lightning moonshine. It'll probably do the same thing. I may or may not already have so, Never mind. Um, so, yeah, the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. Uh, I have seen people try to recreate it, and most of them come out looking like triple-strength um, Long Island iced teas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which brings us to the category I added. 
Yes, which was surprisingly difficult to find things. It was. So uh, whenever you look up, like, famous cocktails from Pop Culture X, you will have to be very careful about your search because if you're not, you will just get, here's 50 drinks inspired by Harry Potter. And that's nothing. Uh, So we really only have two in this category. Uh, And the category is video games. Uh, Now, because of the expected juvenile audience of the the media, um, there traditionally has not been a lot of alcohol uh, made famous out of video games. Because, I mean, having grown up in the 90s, as soon as you added a little bit of blood or some whiskey... Uh, somebody's mom had a problem with it, and then you never got to play that game again. We need to do an episode on the video game trials of the 90s, but that, that's a whole other thing. It is. So the one that I found uh, it comes from the Fallout series, specifically Fallout 4, um, but alcohol plays a role in every Fallout. It's always there. It always has some effects. There's always a perk for uh, being able to drink more alcohol. Um, but I feel like it's the most iconic drink from the series, and it's the Dirty Wastelander. <laughs> it's just such a great name for a drink. It, it is. And uh, when you look at it, it's not great looking. Uh, and the in-game recipe is a single mutt fruit, whiskey, and a Nuka-Cola, which is basically a Jack and Coke. Yes, but it's a Jack and Coke with a mutt fruit. Now, see, what would our, this is an interesting one. What would our real-world equivalent of the mutt fruit be? A uh, small purple fruit that grows on a small roof. Um, maybe like a raspberry? A raspberry or a plum, maybe? Yeah. Jack and Coke with a plum would be pretty nasty. I, well, I don't know. I really like plums. I'd drink that. Oh, I'm not saying I wouldn't drink it. I'm saying I wouldn't like it. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so what was your pick in the video game column? Well, it's technically... I mean, they've made video games out of it in computer games, but it's technically from a board game, but since they made video games out of it, uh, Blood Bowl. And Blood Bowl had a lot of different brands that you could use to get sponsors for your Blood Bowl team, and one of which was Bloodweiser, <laughs> which was a red ale. That's nothing. Fit- Fittingly enough. Uh, and interestingly, you could actually buy as one of your inducements uh, Blood Bowl gir- or Bloodweiser girls, Bloodweiser babes, they were called, who would bring kegs of Bloodweiser and they had like sort of Oktoberfest uniforms on. And you could buy little minis of these slutty Oktoberfest girls and paint them up and they would give your, your team a boost if you bought that particular inducement. Uh, so Bloodweiser was a, a core of the game. But I actually thought of one while we were talking here, and you triggered it when you said about the traditional juvenile audience. Did you ever play... Now, we're going way back, but you're, you're my age, so you probably played it. Did you ever play the arcade game Root Beer Tapper? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I didn't play a ton of it, but I definitely played it going to arcades as a kid. Um, I, I actually kind of forgot about it until Wreck-It Ralph. Okay, right. Yeah, because the, you know, Tapper shows up in, in Wreck-It Ralph. Well, the original game was just called Tapper. Yeah. And it was beer. Yeah. And the idea, and I think some of them were even sponsored, and they might have actually been sponsored by Budweiser. See, I didn't, I didn't do the research on it because I just thought of it now, but they, they were sponsored by a, a beer company, and the idea was you would sell them to bars. And you could have your jukebox, and you could have maybe a pinball machine, and then you'd have this tapper machine. And then they realized that they weren't making any money off of it, so then they censored it and made it root beer tapper. And it was the game that we all know and love as kids. Interesting. I don't think I... Because I think when they called it root beer tapper, the root beer was really small in the logo, if I remember. Yes, it was. And the actual, I've never played one of the OG machines, but I've seen them, and I've seen videos of them working. The actual original machines had a tap handle, and you tapped a beer. That was how you played it. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, that's kind of a cool little thing, and, you know, then they realized, like, hey, this isn't really for kids. 
Um, but hey, we had Joe Camel back in the day too, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. <laughs> yeah. But so, all right, I think, uh, is, is that it? Is that pop culture and whiskey? Do we have anything else? It is. You know, fans, we, we'd love to hear uh, from you on any cocktails we might have missed or any drinks that, that might still be, uh, uh, you know, part of culture that we, we just completely pass by. So feel free to hit us up and, and let us know what we, what we may have left out. Yeah, if we, you know, if we get some some pretty good ones in the next week or so, we can, you know, read them on the air and have a mea copa. We haven't had a mea copa in a while. We're due for one. It's true. I mean, I I wouldn't say no to being forced to try a Singapore sling on the show. <laughs> well, hey, you know, you never don't know. <laughs> um, I might actually, you know, they, they the paper that I got from Nomad Distillery said that I should use this corn whiskey in place of tequila in a cocktail, so... I might have to come up with something. Right? We'll create our own goddamn pop culture. Um, and yeah, okay, and feel free to make fun of me for thinking dandelions are poisonous, but I don't know. I thought, so I guess we could boil them down and distill them, and what the hell? We'll have a good time. Nice. Um, Take us out. So, all right. Yeah, so that's it for this week. Uh, finally, we, we, we made it through. We have internet. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for following us. Thank you all for downloading... Um, uh, the podcast, our numbers are just great. We love you all. We're on close to about 30 different podcast platforms. Uh, pretty much whatever one you want to listen to, we should be on there. If for whatever reason you have a podcast platform you like and we are not on there, please let us know and I will get us on there. Uh, we are trying to take over the world one glass of whiskey at a time. Yes. And so, you know, uh, you, the listeners, help us with not only listening but helping us get our reach out there. So, you know, all. Spotify, Apple, Podbean, List Notes, iHeartRadio, Pandora. Uh, you can listen to us on your Alexa, too. So, And if you're doing that right now, I'll just make her wig out for you. Alexa, 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 Alexa. <laughs> so there you go. You're welcome. Uh, you know, shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro, as always. We love you, Nuno. Uh, thank you for weighing in on the martini debate, buddy. We appreciate it. And we're going to send you to his SoundCloud in our notes like we always do. Uh, remember, we're on all the various social medias that you kids like these days. Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we have a SoundCloud, but there's nothing on there. Don't go there. We have an email. And all of it, for everything, it's the Wit and Whiskey cast. Uh, no H in Wit, but there is an E in Whiskey. So, uh, you know, definitely follow us on there as well. So Share proud. us with your friends. I know, I know. It's two, week, two outros in a row for me. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> so... Now, I've actually been thinking about this topic, the next topic. Interesting. And, you know, I don't normally like to go too topical because I don't like to date the show. You know, if people find us in 2035, you know, I don't want to date the show too badly. Uh-huh. But we started I think... talking about our favorite 90s television <laughs> shows, dude. Well, you're right, but they're not they're not topical to the moment. But I think you and I could have an entertaining debate on this one. So I want to combine two of our possible ideas. You know, we've done the console wars. Yes. A few of them. So I want to take that idea. But I also want to take your possible idea for a switch-based episode. Okay. And I think we should do a future Console Wars episode on the Switch versus the Steam Deck. <sighs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> I mean, if you don't want to, we don't have to, but I think it would be a pretty entertaining episode. <laughs> I think there's probably an interesting cultural phenomenon that would be really interesting to talk about of the why Nintendo kind of question. And I think this is a really great kind of platform for it because the next set of console wars we have coming are, I mean, cube and PS2, right? So yeah, unless we want to go backwards and do Atari versus ColecoVision, which I'm all for, but I don't think anybody listening would want that. (laughs) So I, I think we're definitely getting into the era of, why did people choose Nintendo when they were clearly more powerful consoles? So I, I think that would be interesting. Let's do a future console war in whiskey. Yes, you know, Amazon has the tomorrow war. We are going to have the 
I was going to say the hand war, but no, that that's not good. Future console war and whiskey. We're going to be coming to you live from the future. Maybe I'll get us some good futuristic sound effects for next week. Uh, and I am going to do my best Gabe Newell, which is good because we both have the same body type. <laughs> and we both wear glasses and we both have scraggly beards. I just need hair. He has hair. So I'm going to buy a wig and uh, do my best Gabe Newell next week. And we are going to try to influence you one way or the other as only we can. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be honest, Mark. I may end up with a Steam Deck. And I may crazy. eventually end up with a Switch, but you're killing the gimmick. You say <laughs> I kill kayfabe, you're killing the gimmick. <laughs> Don't worry, folks. We're still going to be at each other's throats next week. Oh, yeah. Don't, you know... We'll, we'll, Somewhere down the line, one of us will make a joke to the other in in Messenger that won't actually bother us, but we're going to hold on to it for a chip on our shoulder (laughs) just for next week. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's that. That is that. Uh, It's good. Next week, season three, episode eight. We're going to do future console ward whiskey. Thank you all again for joining us. I need some more liquid corn because this is goddamn delicious. (laughs) So, uh, hey, uh, until next week, salute. Cheers. Cheers.